0: In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie, and you are listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast powered by Yellow Jacket Media about mixed and multiracial life, our journeys to find our identities, reconnecting with ourselves and the communities we're a part of, all from a southern girl who's still trying to figure out things for herself. Okay, welcome back everyone. I have another special guest to kick off the new year. Disha, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everybody. My name's Disha.
1: I'm 26 years old. I'll be 27 in two days.
0: Oh, why are you gonna do that to me? Make me look old.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm closer to 30 now than 20, so. I'm still in my 20s. (laughs) I'm at (laughs) 28. Well, we're not too far apart then. (laughs) you have a podcast as well right so I have a podcast called but what will people say Um, the title comes from a translation of the phrase lokya genge which translates to but what will people say Mm -hmm. I was born in India and even if you weren't born in India if you were raised in like a South Asian household like you've heard that phrase like everyone knows it because everyone has heard it I've heard it right (laughs) everyone's it's like what everyone's parents use whenever you sort of do something that is like out of what's expected of you mm-hmm. i was raised in new jersey and so i consider myself i don't know indian american i consider myself brown that's really it
0: well welcome to the fam yeah
1: <laughs> pretty much there's lots of groups that seem to just go by brown and i'm like that's a very broad spectrum
0: it really is <laughs> But in my
1: world, brown means South Asian. So Pakistani, Indian, Sri Lanka, all of that good mm-hmm. stuff. So whenever you did something that wasn't what was expected of you, your parents' automatic response was always, look, what will people say that if you, you know, don't go to med school or don't become a lawyer or don't marry someone who is Indian or Hindu or whatever. Or if you choose to move out or move away from your parents or just all these like cultural expectations that are set that you're raised with and our kind of generation of like first generation American kids who are like pushing all of these boundaries and their parents are learning to adjust.
0: Yeah, I can imagine a lot of things I feel like changed really quickly in the community with expectations.
1: Yeah. It's definitely changing very quickly, with, the, especially with the internet. I think that, yeah. that's what's forcing it is one, like I'm Indian, so that's really all I can speak to. But it's a very young country in terms of like independence, even though it has like a very, very old culture. And then with that, this whole influx of like South Asians that came to the US, like the first generation Indians are like the millennials. You know that we were raised here and we're a very new and like young generation still like within less than the last 30 40 years and even with that because of the internet we've kind of acclimated a lot faster yeah along with just like being most of us were raised in a household where like you had to acclimate to like quote unquote american society and fit in as much as you could because if you stood out too much it would really just hold you back kind of thing yeah so even though within our own like four walls we were raised like I was raised speaking Gujarati and watching Bollywood movies and like you know we wore Indian clothes we went to temple and I did traditional like Indian dance and all of that when I left those four walls I was American I talked about Britney Spears and the Spice Girls and I hung out with all my like friends who were not indian most of them were you know white italian hispanic i lived in a pretty like diverse area so like a mix up of everything i had less than 10 indian kids in my entire school district for most of my life until high school so it was like being a chameleon all the time
0: yeah and even though you're not mixed i feel like there's so much of that experience that is kind of similar or parallels how people feel that kind of being tokenized or just not being represented even when you are growing up it's just a, a thing that sometimes is unfortunately common.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree like we even though like you said like I'm 100% Indian I don't, I'm not mixed but growing up here in the US I have like two completely like different sides of me there are some people who have never seen like Indian Disha until like my wedding when I had an Indian wedding.
0: Oh, wow. And they're like,
1: Oh my God, you're like very Brown. And I'm like, yes, you know, (laughs) because like, they're just used to like, quote unquote, like white girl Disha. Like, so my husband is, he's Italian and Ukrainian. Primarily, he's just American. He grew up in New Jersey his whole life. And to his family, when I have to explain kind of how I like switch between like speaking English or speaking Ujrati or wearing American clothes to wearing like a choli, like I'll just be like, these are my white girl pants. Now I'm going to go put on my brown girl pants. That's just how I like <laughs> explain that transition. Cause I'm like, that's just how it's always been. It was rarely like that the two mixed too much, except when I was with like yeah. my other, I guess, brown friends.
0: I think that's a very unique set of experiences. I can't imagine that kind of duality growing up. Yeah. It makes you very, I guess, flexible.
1: I don't know if that's the word. Like I can really blend into like any group of people and like it's made me almost like even though I'm an introvert, like I can talk to anyone. My husband is like, You should definitely start a podcast. Like you could talk to a brick wall and it would talk back. I'm like, Yeah, you're right.
0: (laughs) I mean, That's how I got here. I think a few of us are chatterboxes or have had experiences that lend us to that. At least I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Some of us think we're funny. That's me. (laughs) Not funny. I think that some of that duality might also be an experience that helps you in an interracial relationship because maybe you're used to that going back and forth that stark contrast between being raised in an American environment and being in this whole world that is wholly separate. Yeah,
1: for sure. It makes you very like open to different ideas and different cultures and stuff because like, that's how I was raised. It's like the household I was raised in and the community I lived in were not the same. Yeah. You know, as I've gotten older, like, it's very much shaped my own identity. You know, when people ask where I'm from, it's like, I'm from New Jersey. They want to know like (laughs) ethnically where I'm from. It's like, yeah, I'm from India, but like, I consider myself American, you know, I'm Indian and I'm American and like what that means. And the crazy thing is, so there's a bunch of these kind of like Facebook groups and just like, you know, South Asian communities, especially in New Jersey, where like you will meet people from like all over the US that are, you know, South Asian. And we may have never met until that moment. And you talk to them. And you're like, Oh, we had the exact same experience. Like you grew up in Montana, and I grew up in New Jersey, and that girl in Florida, we're all (laughs) South Asian, and we all were raised the same way, which is like crazy. It's like mind blowing that like, our community has like, somehow managed to like put the same like not just values but like habits and ways of speaking and like little things that you didn't think was possible and then like you realize oh yeah that's just like every brown person raised in America (laughs) and then you you get that stereotype of like us immigrant kids yeah and like who we are
0: and that's shifting again we said very quickly and very drastically so the definition of growing up as an Indian American is changing. You're not only being doctors, we have some people coming up as creative people Mm -hmm. now and being able to embrace that. It's very interesting watching that happen.
1: Yeah, and like that's one of those things that like I'm so jealous of like my cousins who are Gen Z for sure. They grew up in a world where like South Asians were very not, very represented in media but like you could find them you had like Hasan Minaj and Mindy Kaling and mm-hmm. Aziz Ansari like they're comedians they're actors they're creators they're doing all of this creative stuff they're musicians like all these people where when I grew up there were no brown people anywhere in the media yeah you just didn't see them and so like I genuinely thought like, okay, like Indian people don't do creative things like you just become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And like, that's it, you call it a day and you get an arranged marriage and you move on. And you realize like, as we got older, like, oh, like all these people who are also millennials, were just like quietly working away and now are finally in the media and realizing, oh, I, I didn't have to, you know, go into the medical field, I could have done something else.
0: Yeah. And I think You know, it's very interesting when you look at Indian culture, it's such a vibrant culture, music and dancing, and all these creative things are so integral. But at the same time, you're being forced into non creative field. Yeah, weird.
1: It is. It's definitely weird, because I've thought about that. I'm like, we have Bollywood, which turns out more movies per year than any other film industry. Yes. You know, we're huge on music and dance and like every state in India is its own culture. Like mm-hmm. they have their own language, they have their own way of dressing, they have their own ways to practice religion and all of that. And I'm like, how do we have that? But suddenly you come here and if you want to go in, down the music path or some other creative path, you're you're kind of hushed away from it.
0: yeah. It boggles the mind, and I kind of understand. I think it has a lot to do with the marketing here, this American dream. Everyone has been spoon fed, kind of outside of the US. Mm-hmm. Outside of the US, it's a lot different, but I don't know if that has something to do with it. I think it's being raised
1: when you are like a first generation immigrant family. Like, our parents didn't have the luxury of choosing creative field like they are here with a very survivalist mentality Mm. and that you have to be successful like we picked up our entire lives to move to the other side of the planet where we really don't know a lot of people we have no money we have no connections and we we left everything we had behind, you know? Yeah. So that safety net wasn't there. And so because that safety net was no longer there when they moved here, it was like, we have to make sure you're okay. We can't, right. we have nothing to leave you here with. Like when we're gone, there's nothing that's gonna make sure you're okay. Like in India, like we have property, we have homes, we have family, we have lots of connections where, you know, if you wanted to do something that was, That wasn't just becoming like a, you know, professional in the um, going to college and getting a degree and all that. You could do that. Whereas here, that safety net was gone. So it was almost like, well, the only way we can make sure you are okay here when we're gone is making sure you one, get an education and two, you get a job where you'll always have a job and you'll always make a comfortable living. And so that narrowed down your options of things to do with yourself to like 10 things.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought of it that way. But it, it really does make a lot of sense. Because your parents, even if they had really good jobs in India, they can't come here sometimes and practice that job. So it would make sense for them to be so focused on certain things that will make sure their their kids have a future and their, their kids' kids.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was like, you know, if we instill like working super hard and getting straight A's and doing well in school, like you'll be okay. It's not like, you know, people are always like, oh, like Indian people are so smart. It's like, no, it's mostly just that you are literally forced to work so hard that you only get straight A's. Yeah. It's not that anyone is smarter than anyone. Like, yeah, sure. Like we might be good at certain things as an individual, but not as like a society. Yeah. You know, like Not all brown people are just good at math. Like, I know lots (laughs) of brown people that are not good at math.
0: And I think some of those stereotypes, you get the same kind of stereotypes that Southeastern or Eastern Asian people get as well, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, exactly. Everyone gets stereotype. And it's not to say that stereotypes don't come from some level of truth, however minimal it might Mm be. But, you know, it was just like you were just forced to always do whatever you had to do to be at least successful enough to make your parents happy.
0: Yeah, I can see parents trying to create something better for their children.
1: Yeah, basically, it's making sure that their kids will be okay. And that's the only way they know how. There's not like, oh, well, if you become an artist, maybe you'll be successful. It's like, (laughs) probably not. Already took a pretty big risk moving to the other side of the planet. Let's, (laughs) Let's, you know, hedge our bets here.
0: Unless you want to design saris. Yeah, and there are people who do that. Which I feel like would be very fruitful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there are lots of people who have come here and brought their culture and turned it into very successful businesses. But when our parents came here it wasn't cool to be Indian. It's cool now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's cool that you wore like a Linga Choli to your prom because it's like super pretty and so cute. But like, I would have been fucking mortified if my parents did that to me when I was a kid because oh, <laughs> well, the only thing that was going to happen was me getting made fun of. Yeah. You know, like, oh, what's that? That's weird. Why is your food smell weird? Why do you have a red dot on your forehead? Like, it wasn't cool in the 90s to be brown. It's cool now.
0: You know, I feel like when you change so quickly and the way race is looked at has changed so quickly that like, there's almost a bitterness, kind of like you didn't experience these hardships that I did in that as well, because now, like you said, people are more open and more aware of Indian culture because of the people who've kind of paved the way and kids just don't understand that or they don't have that kind of pressure as well.
1: Yeah, it's great seeing more like representation in the media and it's it's steps forward. Just sometimes it can feel a little bit not that it's it's getting like whitewashed, I guess, (laughs) For, for lack of a better phrase. You know, the parts of Indian culture that are being embraced, especially in the U.S., are the ones that are easy to market. In Mm terms, like you know, the music and the dance and the colorful outfits and the sequins and like all that is well and good, but like if you're taking the culture out of it, then it's like Indian weddings are like one of those things that are becoming very on trend everyone wants to be invited to them and like, oh, it would be so fun. And it's like, well, there's a lot of history and culture and religion as to why we have a wedding the way that we do.
0: Mm -hmm. And they can be very different between Hindus and Sikhs. Generalizing Indian weddings is just not reality. Right. And
1: sometimes it can be hard to like explain to people because like it just gets lost in all of the... Just like, oh, it's cool to be brown right now, you know? Lost
0: in all the glamour.
1: Right. But like no one wants to sit there and learn about like the history of like a Hindu Vedic ceremony or like why all of these steps are in it. And like, you know, the whole like right now there's all the buzz around um, Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas's TV show. Wait, what TV show? Right. So, I mean, their wedding was cute. It felt a little bit like we're doing this for the show but okay i didn't know there was a show right so they're making a show about wedding sangeet so the sangeet is one of the events that happens during a hindu wedding ceremony Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's one of the first or second days and it's when all the women in your family and family members now like everybody gets involved do like everyone does like choreographed like song and dance routines yeah and and it's like, oh, that's easy to market to the American public. Like, oh, it's so fun. It's like Bollywood, everyone dresses up and we dance and it's so great. And it's like, <laughs> and that's great, but like, are you going to sit there and also explain why we have a Sangeet or why it's important or the significance of it? Like, that's not easy to explain.
0: Yeah. Or the other parts that are involved
1: right like are you gonna show the entire wedding because this show is just about the sangeet and i'm like there's a lot more to it than that sweetie like we don't just have a Mm -hmm. week-long wedding because it's just one event the henna ceremony is my favorite oh the henna is so fun it's so pretty and that's one of those more like lighter events you know like that's for the girls it's like kind of like a bridal shower where it's very girly and all the ladies get together and like whatnot You know, then there's also parts where like you probably aren't going to talk about this on your show because it's just all religion and it's all like religious ceremonies, like the Santa and the actual wedding ceremony that happens after that, like all those religious aspects where all you do is sit there and listen to the priest. (laughs) You can't make a TV show out of that. It's nice seeing more representation. But at the same time, it feels a little bit like we're just picking and choosing what's gonna be easy to market
0: well that's why when people started talking about padmavati who weren't indian that was kind of the first time i'd heard or seen the general populace latch on to something because of that the trailer for one of the songs or one of the songs came out and then everyone was talking about padmavati but i don't know if everyone saw like the turmoil behind it and why it got turned into Padmavat. is that an indian movie yeah
1: I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> Padmavati was a sanjalila Bansali film. Oh, uh, I see. I'm Googling it.
1: Okay. I like know bits of it, but I like right now, I cannot remember the whole movie.
0: Oh, that's it's just very strange because the trailer itself blew up. It's a Sanjali Bansali film. Like money goes into that. It's high budget. It's beautiful. But the story is Spoiler, for any of you who want to see it, about a queen and a group of women who kill themselves, Mm self-immolation, because that's something that brought them honor instead of getting captured or messed with by the people invading. And I'm like, "Mm, you can, so you're publicizing this one song, but like, do you know the story of Pramavati or the history? It's very strange. Yeah. Indian movies
1: are a whole other kind of gambit. A lovely gambit. (laughs) <laughs> yes, of just so many things, because like, I don't really watch them because I'm just like, I grew up watching them. And I love like the old school, early 2000s, Bollywood. Yes, <laughs> But then as you get older, it's kind of like these could be great movies if you didn't always ruin it. <laughs> First of all, they're like so stereotypical. They're all like love stories. And it's always like boy meets girl. Girl's mm-hmm. not into boy. Boyd makes dramatic run across the airport to catch her before she leaves forever. Song and dance routine here and there. And then they like ruin the ending. And it's <laughs> just like, I don't know. I just, I, after a while, I was like, I'm not really feeling this anymore. Can we make a movie about literally anything else? That would be great.
0: (laughs) I really only watched like the older ones. I didn't like the more modern ones when I was growing up. And I watched some from time to time, some new ones, but it was very weird watching how westernized things got and how quickly. Oh, yes. And I didn't really know what to do with that when I was watching because- I mean, I was watching with some of my friends and in college, we had the weirdest group watching Bollywood movies. It was a lot of Persian girls, a lot of Indian girls, and I looked brown, so me. (laughs) We would watch those and talk about all the love stories. And because I was my friend group, there was a period of time where I was like, this is what I want in my life. (laughs) I just want to marry an Indian man and I will be a good wife. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. If I could have married Shahid Kapoor, that would have been great.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of patriarchy still in a lot of those. The new ones, you know, they, they're definitely much more westernized. I've seen bits and pieces of them. And you're like, wow, this was definitely not made 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, it's not the ba- worst thing in just like Hollywood in the U.S. forces like kind of social change and conversation, Bollywood sort of does the same thing. It does. It has definitely pushed a very conservative culture to like be less conservative and also be more just force a conversation that clearly wasn't happening. Like if you watch like the 90s and early 2000 Bollywood movies, there's no like kissing on screen There is
0: oh man the first time I saw a kiss in a Bollywood movie. Oh
1: my god. I think like (laughs) what was it? I want to say like 10 years ago, some American actor went to India. I don't remember who it was, but he was he's pretty popular one of the actresses there he kissed her on the cheek when they were on stage when like oh, he gave no. her like a, he gave her like some award or something kissed her on the cheek and oh my god the absolute fucking meltdown <laughs> because you know culturally here it's not a big deal you like meet somebody you give them a kiss on the cheek it's no big yeah. time it's how you greet people but in india it was like what that's just not something you do yeah you know if that happened now no it, it would just be whatever
0: and I think that in a lot of cases is a very good thing. And it's been interesting to watch. I know you talk about in your podcast, your husband, your relationship. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we were kind of on the edges of interracial marriage being more accepted. What was it like for you to be in this relationship? Was it with your family? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Always the first question. What did your parents say? I know.
0: <laughs> but that's... I, what else can you do? I know <laughs> now, from my I, friends, that's the first thought.
1: Yeah, I'm used to it. That's why I started the podcast because so many people would just be like, so like, what did your parents say? And I'm like, you are a random stranger on the internet. I'm not sure why I need to tell you that. <laughs> um, or just like other girls who are in the same position or just young girls who, you know, weren't dating, but just the sight of me and my husband, Mike, was enough to like, have them come up to us and like, ask us questions about our personal life. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> you must really think I'm a weirdo right now to like, randomly approach someone you don't know at all in public, just to ask them about their personal life.
0: I think when things are new, or people are kind of at the forefront of something, people almost see it as not a public figure, like you're almost public property, like, I need to know what you're doing in your life because I, I want this. Right. A lot of it is like, I, I don't even
1: know what, what I would do if I were you. Or like, I don't know how to bring a boy to my parents. Or how do I talk to my parents about dating? And like, because even like dating is not something our parents did. All of my parents, my, you know, my aunts and uncles, they all had an arranged marriage. They probably knew their, signif- their now spouse for a week or two before they got married. And they didn't make the decision. Their parents did. Yeah. And so even just broaching the topic of dating is so beyond what we were raised with. And a lot of South Asians, like, don't even know how to bring it up. Especially if you're a girl Like if you're a guy There's kind of this like Idea of like Oh well he's a boy He's gonna do what he's gonna do Like we can't stop him Like blah 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 But if you're a girl It's like no You can't dress this way You can't go out with boys You can't talk to boys Blah 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 No boys No boys No boys Suddenly you're talking to
0: boys About homework or school projects Right exactly And it's
1: like Suddenly you turn 24 And everyone's like Oh so where's your boyfriend And I'm like (laughs) Excuse me Like what When are you having children (laughs) Before you can get a
0: husband like,
1: it's either like, do you have a boyfriend or have you found someone? That's usually how they phrase, it. oh, have you found someone? And I'm like, yeah. oh, so I was never supposed to speak to a boy and now I'm supposed to like have a relationship with one. Like, I don't, like, where does that happen? Like, what <laughs> transition did you see in that?
0: Did you need one? Why would you need a transition?
1: <laughs> right. So, because it's like, there are so many South Asian women that like, they're like young girls early 20s, whatever, that have like never had a boyfriend, don't even know like where to begin with dating. You know, if you intend to not have an arranged marriage, you kind of need to know what how to do. Yeah, realize that like, you're not a bad person. If you like want to go on a date with someone, there's
0: so much like brown girl guilt. Yes, (laughs) I was close enough to be there with my friends getting this kind of stuff. Exactly. Like you are made to feel
1: guilty about literally everything about the way you dress, about who you hang out with, about what you choose to do with your life. I remember growing up and like we would go to like family parties and like I always wanted to be outside with the boys like playing basketball or playing tag or whatever. Oh yeah no. (laughs) And I didn't want to be inside like helping clean or wash the Mm -hmm. dishes or serve the food and I remember my mom would come home. I hated these parties because I knew it always ended up with us getting home and my mom scolding me for not acting like a girl not doing the appropriate things and this is me yeah. when I was like 10 or 11 getting scolded for like not helping in the kitchen and not serving the food and not helping around the house and then being compared to all the other girls who she probably found one or two in the kitchen that like <laughs> look at that girl why aren't you like her why aren't you doing this she's doing what you're supposed to be doing you don't know anything about culture and like they just like go down the rabbit hole of making you feel like a terrible human being
0: yeah it <laughs> I've heard those talks and it's very hard. It's a lot of pressure and there's so much... uh, When I got older and you are talking about kind of realizing these patriarchal or social pressures, how much of that was integral to some of these early movies, these images of these good girls, these girls who are so devoted to their families and do everything to support their parents and be a good daughter... And growing up with that pressure, I cannot even imagine. Yeah.
1: And it also just goes back to what will people say? Like, you were at this party, you're my daughter, and everyone in the room saw you just going outside, playing basketball, you know, doing nothing useful. And what are all these people going to say? Like, what kind of daughter am I raising? Yeah. I'm like 10 years old, and I'm like, what? And I felt terrible. Like, I would be like sobbing because I like didn't know like how to even answer that question. And, like, not, you know, when this is the culture where you're raising, like, you think, like, all these people in the room are judging you. Yeah. Like, you think, like, all the aunties are sitting there, like, oh, like, Disha didn't, like, help in the kitchen. It would always come back to the point of, even when I was, like, 10 and 11 years old, that, like, no one's going to marry you. If this is what people see, then they know that you're not going to make a good wife and no one's going to marry you. And I'm like, I didn't know I was a commodity mom, like, to be, like, sold at auction. Like, yeah. When do we turn this around and ask if I want to get married or do I want to marry whoever that might be on the other end?
0: Yeah, that's not even a question because you ha- getting married is like the most important thing.
1: Yeah, it's like ridiculous. Like there's so many like memes you'll see. You know, you'll tell your parents like, oh, you got into like some really great school or you started your own business or you have a successful career and like nobody gives a shit. But like you say you're going to get married and suddenly you are like, celebrated like it's nobody's business yeah <laughs> you know they're like you're so great oh my God. and even now like i got married in july oh i didn't know this is so recent yeah so it's a long story but like <laughs> you know even now like my family has never and not just like my parents like my cousins my, not like my cousins i guess like my aunts and uncles like the adults the like boomers i guess i don't know what gen i don't know what generation <laughs> they are But like my parents' generation, like all of those family members have never been more proud of me in my entire life than when I got married.
0: That's almost something I don't know how to react to. Like, yay.
1: I'm like, have a master's, have sort of my own business, have, you know, a career, got my own apartment, bought my first car, like did all these other milestone things that like American culture would be like, oh, my God, you're doing so great. Yeah. And like nobody cared.
0: That's so sad because what you're doing online is such a cool thing. I would wish you would have more support in that.
1: I mean, I don't, I haven't even told them I have a podcast. They don't even know because I'm like, I'm not explaining any of that to you guys. <laughs> I'm just not going to.
0: Well, to be fair, you've escaped the, how can I watch your podcast? That's what my mom asked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I would like to branch out to video at some point. Yeah, that's something I'm thinking about, too. But, you know, I did ask about your parents first, also, because as cliched as it is, that's really everyone's first thought, even for my girlfriend and I, like, I'm dating a trans woman. And I have met other trans people who want to be able to talk to their parents or do things like that. And then they get that same level of invasive. But even if it feels invasive, I know that it's a very real, very hard topic to talk about with your parents. And that conversation hasn't gone well for other people before. So I understand why people would ask. Yeah. It's very, it's very strange position to be put in. Definitely. And so my
1: parents, I mean, Mike was a secret for three years, a little more than that. And I didn't introduce him to my parents until I was like, he is the one. Like, this is my human. (laughs) I am keeping it. (laughs) Right. Like, I, there was never, and this is almost like an unsaid rule. Like, you don't just, like, bring a boyfriend home. Yeah. Because our parents just, like, don't understand dating and the fact that, like, you could date someone and break up, like, makes no sense to them. Yeah, you start dating them and that's a commitment. Right. So... None of my boyfriends in the past or guys I dated were ever even brought up in conversation, let alone introduced to my parents. I just didn't. And I've probably been more of a pain to do that anyway because I really didn't date South Asian men. I had one South Asian boyfriend when I was in, like, high school. And after that, I just didn't go back down that road.
0: What was the reason, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Um, I think so... I was in college after that relationship ended, and I realized even if I found the most like, quote unquote, whitewashed Indian I could find, Indian boys to me were always raised to be like the pampered little babies in the house. Mm -hmm. mom always took care of you like did your laundry made you food like cleaned your room blah 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 and that's what kind of carries over and a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them just want that like they just want like a housewife who's going to cook and clean for them and like treat them the same way their mothers treated them and even though my boyfriend in high school wasn't like that as I got to college and he was older than me He kind of was like, you know, if it were to me, like I would just have like, you know, a housewife, like a super Indian, like wife who could like cook and clean for him and make him Indian food. And like and I was just like, dude, did you just like really like really? And like this is a kid who was like raised in the US, you know, and (laughs) I was like. Even at the end of the day, like as Americanized and Westernized as you are, that's still at the end of the day, all you really want.
0: I I don't understand that. Like, what other qualities do you want? Do you want her to be nice? (laughs) Well, like he was like, you know, I don't even really
1: care. Like if she like doesn't have like a master's degree or doesn't have like a great career, like I can take care of that. Like, that's not really an issue. Like, I just want someone who could like cook and clean for me. I was like, all right, we're we're done here. So hire a maid. Even so, like, fine, whatever. Like, that's what you want and whatever. And I was young. I didn't care. He was never going to be like the guy I married. You know, I was like, I got to play the field here. Like, I was, it's fine, (laughs) you know, but I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, first of all, you're like the most not Indian Indian I could find that clearly wasn't working out. And I realized even if I find someone else like that. Even if maybe they do just want a girl who's, like, very westernized and, like, has opinions and a career and, like, can't cook or whatever, I was still going to have to deal with their family because you can't change the way they were raised. Because when you marry them in an Indian culture, like, you marry the family and then I would have to deal with his mother expecting me to treat him the way she treats him. I was like, is this not going to work out, guys? Like, I'm out. (laughs) Um, You
0: sound like a very strong-willed teenager, but... Has any of that come up in your marriage so far where you realize you have this own pressure on yourself? Or is it something that you've kind of been able to let this burden go and be free? Oh, it has not come up. I'm good.
1: (laughs) I I do know myself. I knew myself at that point. I was... 19 or whatever which is still young but like I knew that I was like this is just never going to work like this is a deal breaker if you expect me to make you shock Lee every night it's not going to work out because <laughs> I'm just first of all I don't like it I don't want to eat it I don't even make it now <laughs> and I didn't want to have to deal with like I already had such like a conservative upbringing and I felt so suffocated and I was such like an angry teenager at like my parents, at my culture that I was like, I'm not going to get married and then put myself back in that box like forget
0: it. I need that energy. I was raised in the South and it's it's different, but we just have the same pressures of like preparing to be a good wife mm-hmm. and because the South is a time capsule. <laughs>
1: It's what I hear.
0: Yeah. I mean my mom taught me how to do basic stitches and before I got banned from the kitchen for making experiments with spices, she was like, If you don't if you don't cook, how are you gonna feed your family? So I, I got some of that and with my girlfriend because I am um, Disabled and working from home I get kind of this guilt Like I didn't do the laundry <laughs> yeah. I'm being a bad housewife And then if I ever, ever say anything To my girlfriend like that She just like pokes me on the head Like get that out of your head
1: Yeah, for sure
0: So I'm glad you're. Not, it's not ingrained in you no,
1: not at all I mean, I think Mike does the majority of the quote-unquote, like, domestic bits in our house. (laughs) He, like, he does most of the cleaning. He always does laundry because I hate doing laundry. You know, he will just fold it and put it away because he knows, like, Disha's probably not going to do it. But he, again, he doesn't, like, care. Yeah. Mike, the one thing I love about him, and this is something you will almost never find in South Asian men, no offense to them, is... (laughs) he's like so secure in his masculinity you know what I mean like it does not emasculate him to make dinner or clean or you know because like I I love to cook I have like a little food blog thing going and I love to bake and cook and so I generally don't even want him to cook because that's like my time to have fun yeah and relaxing sometimes I still work full time and like there are days where like I work super late or I'll work and then I'll be recording a podcast or I have something to do for the blog and before I even get home from New York like he'll already have dinner made that's so nice (laughs) yeah and I'm like no brown boy was ever gonna do that let's be honest like (laughs) maybe some of them now I don't know but I didn't meet any that were gonna suddenly be okay with like doing anything domestic besides like making you a box of like Kraft mac and cheese (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh. Maybe we'll have
1: to check in in 10 years and see. (laughs) Let's check in on Gen Z and maybe we raise those sons better than we raised the ones we have in the millennial box.
0: (laughs) We can bring those Gen Z boys onto the podcast in 10 years. Exactly. So how do you feel about (laughs) washing dishes?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like, that's the hope is that we're raising sons that are not so patriarchically raised.
0: Yeah. And daughters that feel comfortable being able to do what you're doing and what I'm doing with odd southerner guilt. I <laughs> think yeah, and that's the other thing.
1: Like I just refuse to carry the guilt. Like there is sometimes when I like had to tell my mom about Mike and all of that. Like I felt more guilt towards like what might what she would have to deal with from like our community and less mm-hmm. like I was like, people can say whatever they want to me. I don't really care. But the thing is, in South Asian culture, they're not going to talk to you. They're going to talk to your parents. Yeah. And so there is some guilt there. But in terms of like me doing whatever I want, that's kind of just been me my whole life. I've just, you know, when you get like scolded so many times growing up for like, you know, you're not doing the right things as an Indian girl. You're not dressing the right way. You're not hanging out with the right people. You don't know how to make Indian food. And like, it just like stops having an effect because you just like stop caring.
0: Yeah, when something said so many times, it kind of loses its right. Well, it either loses its power, or you just get crushed by it. Exactly.
1: And I was like, I almost like made it my mission to get myself out of it. I was like, I'm going to get good grades, not because my mom wants me to to my find a husband. I'm going to get good grades so I can have a career and I can make enough money to move out and have my own place and live the life that I want. That was my driving force for like probably the last decade. I love that for you. Like, I'm going to do whatever the hell it is I have to to get the fuck out of this like whole backwards mentality of like you're going to like marry some nice Indian boy. And the the best part about all of that is in South Asian culture and in Indian culture, like they don't just want you to like marry another Indian person like they want the same religion. They want yeah. the, There are families that want the same
0: caste. And Mm -hmm. I'm
1: like, is that still relevant? Are we still talking about that? Like,
0: I have a friend who is very much so under that pressure. Yeah, and a lot of people are and I was
1: just like, so you basically want me to marry like our neighbor in India because that's the only thing that's going to cut it at this point. Like, no, we're not doing that. My whole thing was as long as I can live with the decisions I make, it's fine. I just have to deal with whatever those consequences might be. And I kind of just like, accepted it and then I continued to do whatever I wanted
0: like I said I I love that for you and I think that's really awesome when you were leaving that part of your culture and kind of trying to figure out what you wanted to be independently were there any parts of your culture that you wanted to keep or was it just you wanted to be away
1: no there's definitely parts I want to keep and I'm still figuring all of that out of my own accord but like now like you know once I like moved out from home and like lived my life it kind of gave me like the the space to figure it out for myself without like my parents breathing down my neck or being in my ear and telling me what to think and how to feel and yeah just like having the room to figure it out for myself because like there's so many parts of like Indian culture that I do love there is definitely Indian food that I absolutely love I still make you know chai almost every morning when I have time oh, come to my house yeah. <laughs> love making chai I love you know there's definitely Indian food I can make you know I don't totally not do that but you know I make the things that I like and I still cook with all the Indian spices and I still own tons of Indian clothes and like I had an Indian wedding and you know I watch I listen to Indian music I still watch like random things on Indian TV or Bollywood movies yeah But just like in my own kind of way. And I still like I can speak Gujarati and like I fully intend to like Mike and I have talked about like raising kids and stuff and like giving them both worlds that we're from like the Italian, Ukrainian, American and the Indian and still sending them to like, you know, like we have like Sunday school programs where like they can learn more about Hinduism and like dance and music and yoga and all that. And I'm like, I still intend to send my kids there. I just don't intend to suffocate them with it to a point where like they're not allowed to be or embrace anything else.
0: I'm so glad you talked about that. I feel like too many couples just don't communicate about these things until they have children and then it's this big fight.
1: Yeah, that's part of the you have to be absolutely positive Mike is your person before you tell your parents thing.
0: (laughs) Oh, I... I did kind of similar things, but for different reasons (laughs) before I committed. Yeah, you have to be like very sure that this is your person. So it almost
1: forces you to have all of the uncomfortable conversations.
0: It's very similar for us. Yeah, because like he was still my boyfriend
1: when I told my parents. He wasn't, we weren't engaged. We weren't, we were just dating. But like we still had to have the discussion that like, you know is is this it are we eventually one day down the road going to get married and stuff and yeah. he was like yeah <laughs> you know obviously." like he goes obviously Duh. and I'm like all right relax because <laughs> um, like I didn't put any pressure on him to like propose right away or anything but I was like as long as like you think like this is it I'll introduce you to my family and I'll deal with whatever comes with that In the meantime, until whenever you might be ready to propose and all that stuff, because he we didn't get engaged for about six or seven months after that he proposed. And I didn't know at the time, because obviously it was a surprise, but he had bought the ring like way before I even like brought up introducing him to my parents. Oh, that's so sweet. He just kind of had had that idea and the ring and all of that already sorted in his head. I love that. He just felt no need to put any pressure on me. Yeah. To like tell my parents or talk about marriage or like any of that stuff. So he just kind of kept it to himself until I was like, you know, so where was, where's this
0: going? <laughs> Sounds like you found a good one. Having you explore that on your own and not force you to go through these things before you're mentally ready. That's really, really sweet and supportive. Yeah. He's he's a winner. He got a good one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he's definitely he's great about that stuff. Like I said, he's very like confident in himself, like not in a cocky way, but like secure. Yes, he's very secure in himself. So like he he's never like projecting any insecurities on me or forcing me to do anything I don't want to do or not ready to do cuz he is also older than me, not by a lot. He's 3 years older than me. Mm. So like in his head, he was kind of, I guess, already having thoughts about like, you know, getting married or whatever, like long term things. Whereas, like, I was still in school when we started dating. Yeah, I understand that. So it was, yeah, definitely nice having someone who could, like, give me the space to, like, figure my own stuff out before, like, jumping headfirst into anything.
0: I think that's probably better for the, in the long run, too, because you were able to move through things organically together. Mm-hmm.
1: And he was great, even about, like, telling my parents. Did he go with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I Absolutely. told... I had my cousins come over because there's just like a whole bunch of us, so I had three of them come over as
0: buffers. <laughs>
1: yes, as like the as like my backup plan because I don't have I have a younger brother, but he was too young to really like be involved. Mm. So my cousins were a little bit older and knew Mike and had met him and were all about it. Came as like my support system, so we they came over and then we told my mom, and who was surprisingly very chill about it. And I was like emotionally having a meltdown but oh because I was like so scared like I was ready for her to be like get out of my house yeah because that was like the fear that I was raised with that like you are not allowed to do anything outside of what's expected of you that's so hard but I had prior to that been like bringing Mike around as like my friend or like Oh, like you need help moving furniture, my friend can help you and like, Oh, you're like, Mike really wants to try Indian food, like maybe you can make him some and like
0: my mom loves anyone who likes her food. So <laughs> I know out of like the three Indian moms I've really interacted with, I have yet to meet one who isn't like, extremely excited when you like Indian food. <laughs> right, exactly. So like, I was kind of
1: having him around. So that when I told him, he wasn't like a completely foreign concept and it wasn't like she had no idea who this person was. And at least early on, get rid of whatever idea she had of like or fear she had that like he would be a terrible person. Because I'm like, you've you've met him.
0: Yeah, that's actually really smart.
1: Yeah. And that's usually all it takes because a lot of those like really terrible reactions just come from fear yeah you know they came to the u.s when like indians weren't as easily accepted and our culture was wasn't so easily accepted so their idea of like quote-unquote like white people even though like americans are not all white was like you know their family's never gonna accept you they're never gonna be okay with who you are and the food we eat and the way we dress and our religion. And so she had already met him and, you know, knew he was a good kid and whatever. And then when I told her, she was like, I know, like he's the only guy you ever brought around. And I'm like, like <laughs> I like, Mom, don't act like you're so chill about it. Like you didn't want me to just hang out with boys and be like, Yeah, let's hang out at my house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. And she's like, of course, you <laughs> he's yeah. the only boy. Just step foot in this house. <laughs> yeah, like you were going to let me just like bring guys around. <laughs> um, I wonder if she let him come over because she had suspicions and she wanted to get to know him.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, the, so the thing is, I hit a certain point where I, I grew up like always asking my parents, like, can I go out? Can this friend come over? Can I go here? Can I do this? And I hit a point where... Probably when I was like 23, 24, which I can't believe it took that long. But I was like, I don't need to ask you to do things. Like, I'm just going to tell you. So like, I didn't ask to bring Mike over. I would just be like, oh, my friend's coming over. Like, he wants to try Indian food. <laughs> or like, oh, like, I'm going out with my friends. Or, oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Like, I stopped making it a question. So they just like, couldn't say no, because it was like, not a question.
0: I-, I think that probably goes in line with who they knew
1: you were already. Right. And it was just like empowering to like take the control back, even though it took till I was like 23, 24 to do that.
0: Better late than never.
1: Yeah, because I wasn't raised thinking that I was allowed to just do stuff. And then I was like, one day I was just like, dude, I'm a fucking adult. Why am I asking if I can go out? I'm just gonna (laughs) go out. Forget it. Like, this is ridiculous. So I guess like with that mentality, like I just shoved Mike on him a little on my mom a little bit. And so when she found out, she wasn't totally surprised. She kind of went back and forth after that, like good days and bad days and some days where she was just freaking out. But I also kept bringing Mike around after I told him. So like there it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to tell you you're going to freak out. And then I'm just like not going to bring him around because I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I was like, no, I'm just going to shove him in your face all the time.
0: (laughs) That is one
1: way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Like you're going to be fine. I can't control the fact that you're having a bad day and today you're being negative about it or like today you're being positive about it. And I'm just like, you're just going to have to keep going until you have more positive days.
0: That's all. So what was really the tipping point of them being more comfortable with this? Was it seeing Mike involved in the wedding or did it happen before that? Um, I think just as
1: I kept bringing Mike around and them talking to him and him just being like a normal person and like eating Indian food or talking to my mom and just being really like respectful of everyone and their like even just like coming into the house and taking his shoes off because like we don't wear shoes in the house and yeah. like it not being an issue or like you know if my mom ever needed something from the store like he if he was on his way over he'd pick it up or little things were like he was just a regular person and like all of the fear of like oh he's not gonna like us or our culture or our family and also having so many cousins who are all like very young in terms like they're all teenagers who just had no time for it like no time for the negativity no time for people being like oh that's weird or like are you sure that's a good idea like they just (laughs) because there's so many of us like just as a force they are so much I love that (laughs) there's just like no room for you to like be a little bitch about it.
0: That's one way to uh, bring some change. Yeah, they were
1: just like, it's great. It's going to be fine. Mike is great. We love Mike. Mike is awesome. And if anyone had anything else to say about it, they would just like shut it down.
0: <laughs> I need to borrow this army of people. Yeah. Next time i have something crazy. Our, my family is
1: full of like very loud, outspoken women. Like even my aunts are not very quiet people. Even though they had the arranged marriages and were raised in India, they're very like... I don't know. I, I've just been always surrounded by like strong, independent women. And all of my cousins are pretty much mostly girls who are all loud and opinionated. Oh, my goodness. it's awesome. So I had that on my side very much. So
0: it's great that you had that kind of support when you talked from what you said. I'm sure that was super nerve wracking. I know it was like coming out and coming out with my girlfriend to my mom. And that is different but still really scary to do Mm -hmm. because you never know if you're gonna get cut off or like is access to this whole world just gone to you it's a lot of pressure yeah and the thing is like i'm lucky
1: in that my family like was very supportive and very open and accepting even though it was it still meant i had to keep mike a secret for three years like once they met him like everyone kind of got on board There's plenty of people out there who don't have that same, you know, happy ending, like who who have gotten disowned and who have gotten shut out by their family or who have had a much harder battle to fight to bring the person that they love home.
0: How was Mike with the situation? Was he really supportive about being a secret for so long and going about things this way?
1: Yeah, he was great about it because he... He grew up in a town with lots of like South Asians and his best friend like was Punjabi. And oh, OK, <laughs> his best friend would always be like, oh, I'm hanging out with Mike like in high school, but he'd be hanging out with his girlfriend. <laughs> and so Mike would always have to cover for him. And like, you know, his friend's parents would call and like Mike would be there to answer the phone and be like, hey, yeah, of course we're hanging out. And even though obviously like his girlfriend was there. it's <laughs> the best friend so, you want. Right. So like he kind of already knew that makes sense. And he just like didn't really, he wasn't too fussed about it. Mike is the most chill person ever. I was about to say, it doesn't sound
0: like he's fussed by much. <laughs> yeah, it, it would take a lot to get him fussed. I'm so bad. My first thought is like, let me try. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a brat sometimes. I don't know. I just, I love hearing stories like this because uh, in a lot of ways, we as millennials are kind of paving the way and redefining a lot of things. And interracial marriage and interracial adoption can't be left out of the conversation when we talk about mixed race things. Because all of us, when we get married, our marriages are by default interracial. Mm -hmm. The way people perceive these mixes and the various different mixes that you can have, all kind of have these different experiences and nuances, but are generally the same. So To hear from someone who is having to go or not really having to, who has chosen to go on this journey for their person is really interesting to hear as opposed to only people who are like products of these relationships. You know, times change and our parents' stories are different than your story might be. It's just the more perspectives we can get, especially when it comes to culture, just shows how complex race and all these conversations are.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's like the same
1: reason I started my podcast. There's just so many people that have done what I did and just like making it normal. Yeah. Like it's not a big deal. And like so many people that just like crawled out of the woodwork that can relate on so many different levels. Like there are people I didn't even expect to reach out to me where they were just like, you know, they married someone outside of their caste, or they married someone who was Indian, but a different religion, like they were uh, Punjabi and Sikh, and they were Hindu, and it was a massive fuss. And I'm like, they're all brown, and we're having an issue. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And just like making it normal and making it okay. And like, you're not a bad person. And you're not like, you know, being American is not a crime. It's not a negative thing. Like, this is what it is to be American, to like have a household that can both be Hindu and Christian or Italian and Indian or whatever that yeah. might be. And that two people can find each other and get past all of those differences and still find common ground.
0: And I think sometimes that brown guilt gets to people And they don't realize that there are other people around who are doing these things, especially like mixed race things and some of the feelings people have. People don't realize sometimes others feel that way until they hear it. So having you as a resource and making sure that South Asians are included just means that more people feel like they're okay, you know, that they're not betraying anything and they're more free to be themselves. So it's it's good that you have this space for them.
1: Yeah, it's been quite an interesting journey so far. So we're excited for 2020.
0: Do you have any big plans? Uh, For the podcast
1: or just myself?
0: Or live or
1: podcast? (laughs) Um not really i'm not a i'm not really a new year's resolution person i feel like people just do them because they think it's funny and it's like an excuse to quit <laughs> yeah i'll be like i'm just gonna go to the gym and it's like they say it with the tone of like i'm gonna quit on january 2nd you know what i mean like <laughs> they've already failed in their mind so like you're just gonna fail in real life too it's fine I'm one of those people, it's like, if I want to set a goal and I want to do something, I'm just going to like do it instead of like, being like, oh, maybe I'll do it for a New Year's resolution or maybe I'll do it next month or maybe I'll do it like, no, you're just going to do it. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it.
0: I don't like resolutions because I feel like it might, well, maybe it's just me and how perfectionist I can get. But I feel like it's just an opportunity to invite unwanted pressure. but. This year, I'm kind of using it as not an excuse, uh, using it as kind of a mechanism to reevaluate my goals for everything. Exactly. It's always nice to kind of set more of like a
1: general idea of where you would like to be.
0: Onward and upwards. <laughs>
1: exactly. Mike loves the whole goal setting thing. I'm sure we'll be doing it soon. <laughs> He, like, categorizes them. And he's like, these are our relationship goals. These are our financial goals. Oh, my God. This is me. (laughs) And then, like, he'll even make, like, a timeline for all of them. So there's, like, no excuses. Like, okay, you're going to do this within this week. And then you have two months to get this step done. And then by May, we should be at this
0: point. And da, da, da. I'm just like, yeah. All right. Cool. You know, whatever... Gets you motivated and makes you feel like you're moving forward.
1: Yeah, I can't have too many goals. I get a little bit too type A about it and then I get boring and I'm like, no, no, we got to leave room for like the weird, I don't know, like I don't have like solid goals for the podcast other than like keep churning out content.
0: I'm excited to see where you go with it because it's a space that is needed and people are obviously listening. Yes, I was surprised.
1: I thought I'd have like three listeners, including me and Mike. So <laughs> I was really surprised that like anybody listened at all.
0: Well, honestly, I think as soon as you get someone to listen, you've probably hooked them. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. You're a very strong person. I respect that a lot and someone who goes with their values. And I think, I guess that is a beautiful thing to share with the world.
1: Thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is my first time being on someone else's podcast. How was it? <laughs> it was definitely different. It's different being the guest. I'm used yes. to being the host.
0: Well, I have loved talking to you. I'm so glad we got to finally connect. Yeah, no, this was fun. I'm glad we, got, we could fit it in. Where can we find your podcast?
1: <laughs> um, well, you can find me on But What Will People Say? That's the name of my podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Podcast spotify pretty much any major streaming platform all the things yeah just look up but what will people say on instagram you can find me at dishes by dishes spelled just like the words that's like my creative corner of the internet so you will find all things podcast and food and whatever i feel like posting up there plenty of interesting things yeah and that's (laughs) where you can reach me as well in my dms or you can email me at B-W-W-P-S podcast at gmail.com.
0: And I will have all of that linked in the show notes. Once again, I'm just, I'm so glad we had this conversation.
1: Yeah, it was super fun. It's always fun sharing. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at some kind of brown, and I would love to interact with you over, especially on Instagram. You can also join us on Patreon for ad-free episodes, after-interview debriefs before the episode comes out, stickers, t-shirts, and more. Another great way to support the podcast is to subscribe wherever you're listening and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Podchaser to help our brownish family grow. You can find the links to everything and more in the show notes through the link tree on my social media bios. All of your support is what keeps this podcast going. Thank you to purpleplanet.com for the use of their song Love Life, and I'll see you later with some more Shades of Brown.